Well, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you. My name is Paul Muma. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, boy, it is an adventure getting here on a morning like today. My biggest challenge uh, on snowy mornings like this and getting here has everything to do with just getting down my street. And so I always have to be very strategic about backing out of the driveway, choosing the right path down the street. But uh, we made it here, and I'm so thankful and uh, excited that you made it here today. I trust that uh, uh, God's going to do some amazing things uh, in our service today. I don't know if you realize this or not, but last week, uh, marked the 35th anniversary of what many people believe to be one of the greatest moments uh, in sports history. Now, we call it the miracle on ice, and I got to tell you, if you're 30 years of age or younger, I need to let you know that this isn't some sort of Disney skating event with Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, but uh, uh, I was only five at the time, all right? But, uh, but I do remember uh, Miracle on Ice is the name by which we remember uh, the USA's defeat of the Soviet Union in men's ho hockey at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, uh, New York. Now, uh, if you're wondering why in the world is this such a big deal, well, many believe that the Soviets, the Soviet Union uh, was unstoppable. They had won six of the last seven gold medals uh, in ice hockey, and this 1980 team was one of the most talented teams uh, that they had put on the ice. And just to give you an idea of how good they were, I mean, leading up to the Olympics, the Soviets had beat an NHL all-star team six to nothing in exhibition play and had already played the United States at Madison Square Garden in an exhibition event where they beat the United States 10 to 3, uh, which if you know hockey at all, you just know is an absolute uh, blowout. Well, on Friday, uh, February 22nd, 1980, maybe some of you remember where you were or when you first heard that news, this USA team made up of amateur uh, and collegiate players and led by uh, Coach Herb Brooks defeated the Soviet Union national team in the medal round four to three. They went on later to uh, win the gold medal. But if you watch the game or uh, if you've ever heard or seen the highlights, uh, you'll recall Al Michaels' famous words as the clock ticked down. What did he say? He said, do you believe in miracles? And this shout of yes and all of the celebration on the ice. And I got to tell you, I mean, you don't have to be a great sports fan uh, to appreciate how special and how exciting uh, a moment like this uh, really was. Well, uh, we're in the third week today of a series that we've been in called uh, Through the Lens. We're looking at the seven miracles of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. And uh, if you have a Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to take it and turn to John chapter 5 with us. Uh, around the room, you'll find that we've got some Bibles on the floor. If you use your uh, Bible app on your smartphone, uh, feel free to go there with us if you would too, to John chapter 5. And uh, much like the lens of a camera really helps us to capture a moment and help us better see an image. The miracles of Jesus really help us get a better picture of God, uh, help us get a better, better picture of God. And what Jesus was doing uh, through these miracles and what he wants us to see is not so much that miracles can happen, although that's a part of it, but more than anything else, Jesus wants us to see what his Father is like. Uh, he wants us to see what our God is like. He wants us to see how loving and compassionate and great our Heavenly Father really is. And I just want you to know that that's what I'm praying for you today. What I was praying even this morning, I'm, I'm just praying that, that maybe today that God would open up your mind and uh, that he would open up your heart and, and to be able to see that he still performs miracles. 
uh, that our God still performs miracles today. But more than that, I, I'm praying that you will believe, uh, that you will be encouraged to trust God, that, that you will be encouraged to put your faith and uh, to put more of your faith in the Lord. And I'm just praying that, that we will grow in our dependence of him, that we will grow in our trust of him. And, and if you seek God first, if you make that your priority in life, to seek the Lord first, what you're going to find is you might find yourself in the middle of some miracles uh, as you see him working in your life uh, and around your life. So let's pick it up <clears throat> in John chapter 5 together, uh, beginning in verse 1. John records for us. He says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, I'll just stop there for a second. We have to ask, what festival might this be? Uh, some think it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, we don't know for sure, but Jesus says, going back to Jerusalem, uh, as any um, uh, a faithful Jew would, he was going back to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered Colonnades, And so we know John records for us that this pool is the pool of Bethesda uh, located near the sheep, sheep gate. It's also uh, translated at time, maybe even translated in your Bible as the sheep pool. And all I know for sure as I read that is that you should never probably put the sheep gate near the pool. All right, that's probably not a great placement for, for many different reasons. Some believe the sheep were washed in this pool. And so I'm just thinking that there's no amount of chlorine, all right, that's going to clean up a pool uh, like this. And so we kind of know, we kind of realize that it's not a clean place. It, it, it's a messy place. And well, Jesus is going to go there. Look at verse 3. It says, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine how sad of a place this must have been? I mean, just try and use your imagination, if you would, and picture these people there and think about all of the suffering and all of the hurt and the men and the women and children, and Jesus willingly walked into it. He walked into this place, and he walked it, into it intentionally. And I just think it's a good reminder for you and me that as followers of Jesus Christ, and even as a church, there may be some very sad and difficult places that the Lord wants to take you, uh, some very sad and difficult environments where he wants to use you, and he wants to use your family uh, for the sake of showing Christ's love uh, to others. I think it's also a great reminder for us, too, that he is willing to walk into your life, too, no matter how great or how messy or how difficult your circumstances may be right now. Um, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he is willing to do this for us, no matter how sad or difficult it may be. Now, we have to ask ourselves, well, why come here? Well, why, why did all of these people, all these disabled and these hurting people come to this particular place? Well, there was a local superstition, uh, a beliefs of sorts, that these waters contained healing powers. And the superstition went that whenever the waters stirred or whenever the waters bubbled up, if you were the first person in the water because the angel was stirring them, that you would be healed. Well, there's no evidence that any healing of this ever took place, and local Jewish leaders didn't support it. They didn't encourage it. They just kind of looked the other way to it, and so whatever the case, people came from all over, uh, maybe out of desperation, hoping to be healed, hoping for a miracle, and in verse 5, John records for us that there was one that was there that had been an invalid for 38 years, 38 years. I mean, think about that. I mean... You know, 38 years in the ancient world was a long and a very good life. I mean, not many people live beyond this. And so uh, we know that he's been an invalid for most of his life, maybe all of his life. And can you imagine that? 
I mean, can you imagine living with that sort of a, a handicap and a disability? I mean, some of you can. Uh, maybe you can imagine that. Maybe you've lived with that. Maybe you've lived close to someone uh, with, 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 with a handicap like this. I mean, can, but, but, but imagine if you would. I mean, what would that be like? And, and if you can't, you know, maybe we can relate uh, in other ways. For instance, I was reading this past week about a man by the name of Roger Crawford. Uh, Roger Crawford is the first and only uh, American in history uh, to be a United States professional tennis association athlete, and he played Division I college sports with a severe disability. Roger was born without hands and only with one leg, and today he is a certified tennis pro. Having played Division I college tennis, he's a public speaker and an author today, and obviously he's got an amazing story, and as he travels and as he speaks uh, and encourages others, one of the messages that he loves to pass on to others is this, that, that you might see, he would say, you might see my disability, but the only difference between you and me is that while you might see my handicap, um, I can't see yours. And the message that he challenges so many people with is that we all have them. We all have these limitations. We all have these things that hold us back. He says some are just better at disguising their handicaps uh, than others. Think about those words. We all have our handicaps. Some of us are just better at disguising them. What do you think? Kind of interesting. I mean, you think he's got a point here. And if so, let me just ask you this. What's your handicap today? Uh, what's your limitation? What? Well, what's the problem that is so real and so evident in your life right now, whether other people realize it uh, or not? Or let me ask it like this. What is that one thing that you're waiting for God to do in your life right now? You know, two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jesus turning the water to wine. What was the obvious problem in the story? Mary came to Jesus. What did she say? We've got no wine. Right? That was the obvious problem for this particular moment. And last week, we looked at the story of the royal official. He was a, a nobleman. He was a father. He had a son. His problem was that he had a very sick son. And so he, he, he was desperate, and he turned to Jesus, and he begged Jesus for help. You see, we all have different problems. We all have these different limitations, and I, I'm not so much talking about the short-term problems that are here and then gone in a few weeks. I'm talking about those ongoing challenges and limitations that we face, and I mean, what's that for you today? I mean, maybe you come in here today, and you know what? Maybe for you, maybe it's your marriage right now. Uh, you would just know, hey, that's the challenge. That's the problem that I'm up against. Maybe it's an ongoing medical issue for you or um, challenges with chronic headaches, uh, maybe something like depression. Uh, maybe it's a financial problem, and you know, or for somebody in your house, you've got an overspending issue. Maybe it's a, a health or a weight problem, and so it's overeating. Maybe it's a managing your time issue, and you just know that you so easily overcommit. Maybe your problem here this morning is a problem with pornography uh, or a sexual addiction uh, or an addiction to alcohol or maybe some other uh, substance. Maybe you are or have been the victim of sexual abuse. Um, or physical abuse, or verbal abuse, or mental, or, or physical abuse. And, and so there are these wounds. No matter how long ago it happened, maybe there are these wounds that are still very real uh, and affecting your life in so many different ways. Maybe you've got some legal issues that you're up against right now. Maybe it's more of a heart issue or a spiritual issue for you. I mean, who did Jesus find at the pool of Bethesda? Uh, verse 3 again says that here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And so Maybe for you today, maybe your problem is more of a faith problem. Uh, maybe for some of you today, you would say that you're spiritually blind right now. 
Uh, and so you have a difficult see, difficulty seeing things. You're blinded uh, to the things of God, or you've been looking uh, to God for help. You've been crying out to him for help, and you can't seem to find it. Maybe you're struggling with sin right now in your life, and you're blinded to the fact of not only what it's doing to you, but what it's doing to the people around you, the people that you love. Uh, maybe you're spiritually lame, spiritually weak here today. And so you're just hanging on right now, and you've got no joy in your life, and you don't seem to have any strength, and it, it just takes everything to, to get you through a day. Maybe you, maybe you would say, you know what, I'm spiritually paralyzed right now. And, and you've been around God, maybe you've been around church for a really long time, but you're stuck right now, and, and you're burnt out, and you see the enthusiasm in others and what's happening in their life and maybe in their family, but, but, but you look at your own life, and those same things aren't happening. And so maybe you're at a place that even after all these years, you're asking, you know, what's the point? I mean, what's the point of all this? And so, you know, maybe you get yourself out of bed a couple of times a month for services, but if you're honest, you would just say, you know what, it's not really happening for me spiritually right now. See, with this account in, in John 5, I think we have to see that it's not just about a lame man by the sheep pool, but this story is about you and me. And that's what Jesus wants to see, that this is about us too, that we're there with the men and the women and the children at the pool with these spiritual or these physical handicaps. And, 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 and because we're with them, you know, we'd be crazy to think that there weren't some spiritual challenges and some great questions that every person that was hurting near this pool had to be thinking and had to be asking and had to be struggling with. And I think Jesus realized this. And see, he knew that even as he went to this man, that they required more than just physical healing. And maybe that gives us a little bit better of an understanding of what he's about to do next. Look at verse 6. Jesus approaches this man, again, this man who was an invalid for 38 years. And it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I mean, what's the question that he asked? He asked him, he looked at him and said, do you want to get well? Now, I got to be honest with you and say that when I read this question, it almost seems like an insulting, insensitive sort of question to me, doesn't it? To you? Would you think that? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if Jesus were to go up to a broke guy and say, hey, uh, or if you and I were to go up to a broke guy and say, hey, do you want a hundred bucks? Well, of course, you know, of course he, they'd like a hundred bucks. It's like asking a hungry guy, I mean, do you want to go to Golden Corral uh, for dinner to get something to eat? You know, it's like my wife asking me, do you want to make out, right? I mean, it's just kind of a duh. I mean, do you really need to even ask, you know, sort of a question that he asked here? And so the question of Jesus, it might seem a little insensitive, but maybe it's brilliant. Maybe it's a brilliant question. I mean, what if Jesus sees something that we don't? I mean, Jesus knows this man has a problem, but I think he realizes that this problem for this man is much deeper than his physical handicap, and so he's ready to go after more than symptoms. He's really ready to get to the heart of the matter with this man. And so in verse 7, he says to him, or the, the invalid replies, Sir, he says, I've got no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, I know that this may be a bit of a stretch, but I think you can kind of sort of see a victim's mentality that's kind of set in for this guy. I mean, can you potentially hear the excuses? But, I mean, and notice something in his response, too. I mean, notice that he never really answered Jesus' question. I mean, Jesus asked him this question, do you want to get well? And it's almost like he didn't even hear him, or at least he ignored it. And I just think it was because he was so focused on the problem for his life. And here's what I think. Here's what I think that John wants us to see, and I think maybe what's happening with this guy. I think that Jesus realizes that this man has grown a little too comfortable, maybe even accustomed 
to his present situation and circumstances so much that he couldn't see anything else. He couldn't see anything else. And not only uh, was he handicapped physically, but I think we also have to believe that he's handicapped spiritually too, that this disability for him has consumed every part of his life, affecting him emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And it was affecting his ability um, to, to even believe, to believe that there could be something more. And so maybe while Jesus is concerned that he could f- heal him physically, it's not going to matter if he can't change his heart. I mean, it's not going to matter if he can't get to this man's heart. And so Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Almost as a way of saying, I'm not going to force myself on you if what I am offering is not what you really want. And so what about you? As you think about your life right now, I mean, can you imagine Jesus walking into your life and your circumstances and everything that you've got going on this morning? And can you imagine him saying to you, do you want to get well? but it's a pointed, a piercing sort of a question. I mean, think about it. I mean, imagine him asking, do you really want to get out of debt? I mean, do you really want to get out of debt? Because for some of you, shopping is just the drug of choice right now, and, and you may say that you want it, but do your actions really show it? Or imagine him asking, do you really want to overcome that addiction in your life, that addiction that's held you hostage for so many years? Because sometimes I think we just settle for what's familiar. Uh, to us. Or imagine him asking, do you really want a better marriage? Because if you're in marriage, you know it takes work, and you know it takes commitment, and you know that it requires humility. Imagine him asking, do you really want more of God in your life right now? Because you seem pretty comfortable with spiritual apathy. Or imagine him asking you, do you really want more from life? Because negativity and pessimism seems to be the norm Uh, with you. I mean, I think we have to ask, do I really want God to help me? Do I really want him to get to the heart uh, of this matter and to heal me? And am I really ready to trust him with every part of my life? You know, I know that I uh, shared this a little while back, but I remember uh, last year about this time was just a really kind of a challenging, discouraging, and difficult time for me. And um, and I can't really even point to one thing. I mean, my marriage was great, and I loved this church, and there was no secret that I was keeping, but, you know, there was the weight of the winter, and I think just, just whatever was going on in my life and in my faith at the time, and I just really felt discouraged and just the challenge of, of, of to keep going. And I had just come back from Haiti and just had a wonderful experience there, but again, I just think the challenge of coming back from a place like Haiti and coming back into Hamilton County and the fast pace. Uh, you know, kind of culture and society that we lived in uh, was so much to bear. And um, I just really felt like, you know what, I, I, need, I just need to go talk to somebody. And so I made an appointment and had a pastor tell me one time, hey, it's okay for pastors to go see counselors. You know, it's, it's important to kind of do that checkup once in a while. And so uh, I did that. And I remember having a, a great time with this particular counselor. And I kind of walked away from there. And there were some ideas of, hey, we can continue with this for the next few months and just kind of help get you back on track. And I'll always remember just kind of sitting down in my car that day, getting ready to make that drive back to Indianapolis, and, um, and just knowing that the Lord was there with me. And I really remember him speaking to my heart at that moment and just saying, you know, Paul, uh, if you want to continue with this counseling, I'll use it, and, and I can heal you, and I can sustain you, and I can give you the strength that you need. Or, Paul, here's just what you need to realize and what you need to do, and that is that you just need to keep coming to me. Paul, you've really taken for granted your relationship with me, and it's so easy to just get caught up in the emotions of, of going to church and, and doing life, and you've really kind of neglected that time with me. And, 
And that day, I mean, the Lord, he just, he just spoke to me and he said, Paul, just keep coming to me and talking to me and praying and reading the word. And, and I, I did that. And I, I didn't go back to the counselor. And, and, you know, sure, I'm just a messed up, you know, mess like anybody else, you know, even today. But, but I feel his strength in my life. And, and looking back, I can see how he sustained me and uh, his life in me and the, the encouragement that he has put in me. But, but he, he, he asked me. I really believe that he asked me to take the next step. It was almost as if he was saying, do you want to get well, Paul? I can do that. But here's what you're going to have to do. I'm only going to force so much of myself on you. You're going to have to take it and run with it. Hey, I just want you to know today that no matter what you're going through in your life right now, God can heal you. Uh, He can heal you and restore you. He has the power uh, to do this. And one of the primary reasons that we're looking at these miracles is so that we can better see what God is like. And I want you to see and know and believe today that he can help you no matter what your circumstances are, that he can heal you. Who is he for us? Exodus chapter 15, verse 26 shows us the very end of that verse when we hear, for I am the Lord, I am the Lord who heals you. We know and we believe that our God, the Lord, is the healer that he can help us, that he can help you, that he is the one who comes into your life and into my life, and he comes with grace and mercy uh, and love, and he can heal your wounds, and he can restore your soul, and there is nothing, there is nothing in the world that is too great, uh, that is too big for him. And for the man in this story, he was looking to the waters of this pool to provide uh, the healing, and I think so many times what we do is we go looking to other things to heal us. We go looking to other places and other relationships to satisfy our needs, but ultimately, God, our Father, is the one who heals. And so Jesus, uh, he walks up to this guy and he asks him, do you want to get well? And again, the man's response is a little whiny. Uh, I think you could say that there is some admission uh, to needing help, but face it, he's got nobody to help him. And honestly, for this man, his handicap had consumed so much of his life that he couldn't see the one who was standing in front of him. He couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see that this is God's son, that he is the Lord, that he is our healer. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're asking the very same thing. You're asking, can he really help me? I mean, could he really help me? I mean, does he really understand what I'm going through? Can he really make a difference in my situation? Well, hear these words. Hear the promises of these words in Psalm chapter 33, verses 6 and 7, when it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Uh, their, Their starry host, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Over in verse 9, it says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood Firm. He spoke and the heavens were made. He created the universe and he created the earth. He made the animals of the earth and the sea. But most important of all, he created you. He made you. You are so precious to him. Your life and every part of you and every day that the Lord has ordained that is ahead of you right now. Do you have any idea at all how much our God loves you? David wrote these words in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, reflecting on the power of this love. He said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, as he realized this, you must realize this too, that he knows you. He made you and created you. He knows every hair on your head. Uh, He knows every tear that you have ever shed. He knows every thought. 
He knows every moment of your life. He knows every hurt you've ever experienced. He knows every sin you've ever committed, every fear you have ever had. He knows your situation right now and what you're up against and what you're facing. He knows your marriage. He knows what's going on with your health. He knows your financial situation. He knows your depression. The Lord, our healer, he knows all things, and he loves you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And this God of ours, he doesn't worry and nothing shakes him. He is our all-powerful, merciful, loving, and compassionate Father. He is the Lord, our healer. He is the Lord. He is your healer. And he can heal your life. And maybe today he's just asking, do you want to get well? I mean, maybe, maybe part of the reason why you ventured out today and ventured through the snow to make the effort was to be here and to hear him ask you today, do you want to get well? To hear him speak into your life, to speak into your soul this morning and hear him ask, do you want to get well? Are you ready to get well? Are you ready to believe that he can heal you? Are you ready to submit yourself uh, to what he will ask of you or what he's going to uh, require of you? He, he will help you, but he's not going to force his way into your life. He is willing to help you as much as you are willing to allow him to help you. And you know, maybe, maybe every part of you wants to push back on that. And maybe every part of you wants to say, you know, Paul, I've tried. Or you know, I, I can, or you'd say, you know what, I, I've been suffering for so long now, or it's complicated. Uh, you don't know how long I, I've been facing this medical situation. You don't know how long this has been going on in my marriage and how long I've been struggling. You don't know what I've been through. And to that, I would say true. I don't know, but he does. And he knows. He is the Lord, and he knows all things. And, and because he does, he can because he is bigger than all your problems, because he is our almighty, everlasting God. There is nothing that is too big for him. There is nothing that can stop our God from working in your life. And that's what Jesus wants this man to see. That's what Jesus wants this man to see. And what does he tell him to do? Look at verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now notice that Jesus didn't ask him. He told him. Again, this is the man that never answered Jesus' question to begin with, at least as far as we know, but because he is full of love and because he's full of compassion, he commands this man to get up. He tells this man to pick up his mat, and, and I think you could say that the symbolism in this mat and even why John records this is just kind of show us that, you know, this mat had become a crutch of sorts uh, for this man, but Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and to walk, and verse 9 records at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now, what do you think that was like for this man? Even as I was reading this past week, I couldn't help but ask myself, you know, did he feel the, the healing in his legs before he made the effort to get up and walk? Now, I know this is a guess, but here's my guess. I don't think he did. I don't think he, he felt this in his legs. I think he had to humble himself and I think he had to go for it. He had to give everything he could, and he had to go for it. I think he had to obey first. He had to demonstrate some obedience. And, and, and I think what's, what's fascinating about this is, once again, just like the miracle that we looked at last week, you can write this in your notes if you're taking notes, obedience precedes the miracle. I mean, that was the case with the story last week. I mean, the man, the father, had to take Jesus at his word and return home before he could discover that his son had been healed. 
And this obedience preceding a miracle, we, we see this in so many occasions all throughout Scripture. I mean, look at the story of Moses. What did God tell Moses to do? He told Moses, take off your sandals first because this ground that you're standing on is holy ground. He told Noah, you, you need to build an ark before it had ever rained, ever seen a drop of rain uh, in the world. He told Naaman, you need to go dip in the water seven times before you can be healed. Jesus told Peter, we're going to look at this story in a couple of weeks, to get out of the boat and to come walking to him on the water. He had to get out of the boat and take the first step before he experienced the miracle. And with this man here in John 5, he told this man to pick up his mat and walk. And with each occasion, obedience precedes the miraculous. And I just can't help but wonder, could the same be true of you and me today? That the Lord is asking you today, do you want to get well? See, God, God is able, and he is ready, and he can heal you. But maybe, maybe even as you hear him ask you this question today, do you want to get well? Maybe what you're going to have to do is to hear him say, you're going to have to pick up your mat and walk first. And I don't know what that means for you, and I don't know what that mat looks like in your life. But it's just a demonstration of trusting God and trusting his promises with your obedience and with your faith as you believe and as you trust him. And so maybe that looks like this for you today, that if you're here this morning and if you're struggling with pornography right now, it's to hear the Lord say, you need to flee from it. You need to get away from it in all sexual immorality. You need to get some accountability in place. If you're struggling with an addiction right now, an addiction to alcohol or some other form of substance, maybe for you the next step, the step of obedience is to admit that you have a problem and to seek some professional help starting today. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe if it's a bitterness issue or a resentment issue in your life, maybe for you the next step is you need to forgive whoever has hurt you. If it's guilt or conviction, maybe it's seeking forgiveness from someone else. If you've been wanting to lose weight, if, if this has been consuming your life, maybe it has everything to do with pushing away the plate or seeing a doctor or finding someone that can help you uh, get on an exercise plan. If you've been saying, you know what, I want to be generous, I want the Lord to do this work in your life, maybe he would say to you, great, start being generous. Start giving away what I have already provided for you. If it's a spending problem in your home or in your life right now, maybe it has everything to do with tearing up the credit cards and, and getting and seeking some financial help from someone that you can trust. If you're struggling with loneliness, maybe the Lord would say, I need you to take the next step and get involved in a group or get with someone else. If, if you're here this morning and you know that in your life you're on the verge of an affair right now, uh, you need to end that relationship. And find some help. Find someone that you can trust that can hold you accountable in this. Maybe you need to seek accountability from a friend or with your connection group right now. Maybe, maybe you've been asking, maybe you've been wondering, you know, I want to do more with my life. I really want to serve the Lord. Maybe it has everything to do with going into full-time ministry. Or, or if, if busyness is a problem for you and it's just tearing apart your family, maybe it has everything to do with finding a new job uh, and, and investing in your marriage or your family. Or maybe you're struggling spiritually. And you're struggling, and you know that here this morning. And what you need to do next is you need to seek Jesus. And you need to seek him every day. And make that commitment and establish that discipline in your life uh, to more than anything seek Jesus because he can free you, and he can heal you, and he can restore you. And maybe you know that you need to surrender your life to him. And he is asking you that question today, are you ready to be forgiven? Are you ready to be healed? But the next step for you is to surrender your life to him and to say with your own mouth and with your own heart, I trust you, Lord, 
Will you forgive me? Will you come into my life? Will you change me forever? See, there is nothing too great for him. There is nothing so great in your life that he can't overcome, that he can't heal you because he is the Lord, our healer, and he is here, and he is ready to speak into your life today. is here. He's right here. In this room, in your heart, he is near, nearer than breath, heartbeat, nearer than you are to you, closer than second chance or next opportunity, closer than tonight or yesterday. He is real, more real than touch, see, hear, smell, or taste more real than reality. He is our reality, more real than joy, pain, sorrow, or the love of being in love. He is present like space, wind, time, silence, night. He is waiting like creation, like words on the tip of tongue, like songs that have yet to be sung. He is beauty and oranges, blues, every hue, every shade, sunset and sunrise, whisper his name. He is holy, cannot be touched, explained like sweet seconds of prayer, like grandmother on knees, wood floor bare. He is old hymns, the extending of limbs, stretch across trees, strives to heal disease. He is sun, distinctly three, distinctly one, the only one, the only wise, the only resurrector of lives. right here this morning and he has you here today for a reason and I pray more than anything that you will hear his voice today that you will know and believe that he is the Lord our healer and there is nothing too great nothing too small for him and maybe hear his voice today asking you do you want to get well 
And as you say yes, to not only hear him say those words, but maybe he's got a next step for you. Maybe he's got a way for you to respond today. Maybe you just need to ask him right now. As we pray right now, just even in your own time and space, just ask the Lord, Lord, what next? pray that you'd hear the love in his words, the compassion in his voice. You'll have the faith to trust him, to believe in him, and to respond. He sent Jesus for you. He sent him for you. And he is waiting to help you. He is ready and able to help you. And for those of you that are here today that have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe the next step for you is to trust him to put your faith in him even right now. And if that's your response to him today, you can just pray with me. You can pray silently. You can pray out loud if you would. Just respond to the Lord today and just pray, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. Come in and take over my life. I'm trusting you today. Forgive me. Heal my wounds. Give me the faith to get up, to walk, and to trust you. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion, your mercy, and your grace. Would you increase our hunger for more of you? Would you increase our faith in you to trust you for all things? And even as you speak into our lives here this morning, for each person, maybe a different word, maybe a different step to take, Lord, would you give us the faith now to move on from here and to do what you've commanded us to do? We thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.